Friends, we are continuing our series on the book of Colossians. So please keep your Bibles open at Colossians chapter 1, and we will be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. But before we have a look at what the text tells us, let us start with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hear your word, that we can respond to it. And we pray, Lord, that you will use me, that you will change our hearts as we hear your words preach, that you will help us to respond the way you want us to respond. And we ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let me share a real story with you. In the early 90s, Dallas Theological Seminary was being set up and it ran into some financial problems and it critically needed 10,000 US dollars. Now, it was a very new seminary. They didn't have many supporters. It was not very popular at that time. So that amount seemed so far away. So what did they do? They had a prayer meeting. And during that prayer meeting, one of their theologians and lecturers, Harry Ironside, prayed this prayer. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle to help us meet this need. Shortly after the prayer meeting, a check for 10,000 US dollars arrived at the school, sent days earlier by a friend who had no idea of the urgent need of the seminary or of Ironside's prayers. The man simply said, the money came from the sale of some of his cattle. While not all prayers are answered in the same way, we know that God hears every prayer that we bring to him in Jesus' name. Prayer is truly powerful and life-changing. But oftentimes, we tend to speak of prayer as if it is something secondary. When someone shares their problem, we figure out how we can help them. And if we can't, we'll just offer prayers and condolences. Sorry, I can't help much, but I will pray for you. Now, if we realize how important prayer is, the first thing we will do is pray and then see how else we can be helping the person. Now, Paul truly understood that and we see that as he begins in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, last week we have seen that Paul have heard about the Colossians and he calls them saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And we also find out, if we continue reading, that this church is actually not doing so well. They are attacked by false teachers who are judging them on certain things that they are not doing and adding all sorts of things that they are not supposed to have and telling them that they are not really doing things right. And so this is a church that is discouraged. And knowing all of this then, what does Paul do? He sends a message and he writes there and tells them he prays for them unceasingly. It doesn't mean that he's constantly praying for them for 24 hours and on and on, but rather it means every time he prays, he brings them in his prayer to God. So, knowing the circumstances that these are faithful brothers, and these are faithful brothers being challenged by people, Paul then, stuck in a jail, not able to help much, he offers the most powerful thing he can do on their behalf. He prays for them. And the reason why Paul is writing this letter is to encourage them. And how does he encourage them? By telling them, I am praying for you. So friends, consider that the next time you're wondering how to encourage someone. Pray for them. And then tell them that you're praying for them. Now, 
What would you guess Paul would be praying knowing the circumstances? Perhaps Paul would be praying that God will give them miracles and gifts so that they can put these false teachers to shame. No, Paul doesn't pray for that. Or does Paul pray for great revival or increase in the size of the church? Paul doesn't pray for that. Does Paul then pray that God will give these people great success and blessings so that they can show that God favors them? Paul does not pray for that as well. Instead, here is what Paul prays for them as we continue in verse 9. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays that they will have knowledge of God's will and to be filled by this knowledge of God's will. He prays for them to have full spiritual wisdom and understanding of God's purposes and desires. And friends, this shows us that Paul is telling us that this knowing of God's will is more important than all the other practical things that Paul could have prayed for them. Now, this doesn't mean we cannot ask for material or necessary things. Dallas Theology Seminary asked for material need they had, and God answered that with a yes. So when Paul is praying here, what he's actually showing us is priority. You see, greater than solving any problem that we bring before God is to know God's will in that matter so that we can act in accordance with God's will. And that should be our highest priority. And so, we need to ask ourselves, how does our prayer life look like? Are we asking God to reveal His will to us, to help us to do the things that He wants us to do? Or are we praying in a very narrow sense, limiting exactly what we want from God and saying, God, please do this, this, this for me because this is how I foresee this ministry should work. This is how I foresee my life should go. And a lot of time our prayers are like that because ultimately it's about our will and we're not as concerned about what is God's will in this situation. But Paul shows us to earnestly desire to know God's will and fulfill that. And then Paul reveals why he desires this as we come to verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul wants them to know the will of God so that they can live out their lives in a manner that's pleasing God. In other words, he wants them to work in fulfillment of God's will. And verse 10 shows us that this response will have two factors. The first is, they should be responding by bearing fruit in every good work, and they will be increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is what it means, friends, to be Christians, to seek to do God's will. As you seek to do God's will, you will do good works which is basically you acting out Christ-like kindness towards other people. Paul wants them to do this so that as they continue to bring this character of Christ-likeness, they become more like God. And the next thing is about having knowledge of God. And this is not talking about going to 
a seminary or writing a theological paper. It's not a knowledge that is merely about information. True knowledge of God is knowledge that works in our hearts and brings us to a meaningful and deep relationship with God. So basically, Paul is showing basic Christian doctrines to them. What we are supposed to do in response to any circumstances as we come before God is to grow in our relationship to God so that we will know Him more and more and to be more like Him as we become more like Christ. And that, friends, is ultimately what it means for us to know the will of God and to respond to God correctly, to be like Christ, to serve others, and to deepen our relationship with God. So friends, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, whatever situation which you're going to pray to God for, whatever trouble you're in, the main plan that God has for you is always the same. He wants you to know Him better, to have a deeper relationship with Him. And He wants you to become more like Christ, no matter what the circumstances. And so friends, priority-wise, this should be something that we should be praying for. And it should be on top of all the other things that we are asking for. And this is something that we should be praying for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters, for our church, and for all Christians. And this is how we should be growing. And this is how we should be measuring ourselves. Are we becoming more like Christ? Are we deepening our relationship with God? And this is what Paul is hoping for the Christians over there. And this is also why Paul writes this letter to them to remind them. Now that we understand what Paul is asking God to do for them, it seems like there's one more question left. Is Paul trying to guilt trip them? Trying to tell them, okay, I know things are bad for you, but you must do this thing, produce good works, learn to love God more. And if that's the case, then Paul is being very insensitive, isn't it? But actually, if we understand what Paul is doing here, he's not insensitive at all. Because friends, Paul isn't speaking to them and rebuking them. Paul is praying for them. And it's true, in his prayer, his expectation is made clear. This is what Paul is. Paul wants to see in them that they grow and get closer to God, that they do good works and bear fruits. But how are they going to achieve this? Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. They are to be strengthened with all power which enables them to be faithful, to excel in love in this situation, because it is God who does the strengthening according to his glorious might. Paul is not asking them to do this thing based on their strength. He says they need God and he prays on their behalf to God to provide them with this. So friends, for those of us who have read this passage earlier and we see in ourselves a lack of response, maybe we feel that we are not deepening our relationship with God. Maybe we feel that we are lacking in bearing fruits through good works. Then friends, if that's the case, there's no need to feel despair. Instead, we realize that there's a failure in our life. 
to understand God's will and respond. And that's why we're not doing this. But that failure then leads us to not put our trust in ourselves, but to come to God in prayer. It is by His power that these things come to pass, not by our human strivings. So that is why Paul is praying for them. God is going to strengthen them. God is going to enable them. God will lead them to all endurance and patience so that they can fulfill His will and make them more like Christ. And friends, look carefully at what this strengthening looks like. It's characterized, as Paul puts it here, by joy. Ultimately, Paul is saying, look guys, I know you're in a challenging situation, but here's my prayer, that you will know God's will, that you grow to be more like Him, and that you will do good works that brings fruit. And for that, God is going to equip you with endurance and patience. And up to this point, it seems like, wow, so you need to grip our teeth and bring out the good works. But that's not what he's saying. Because ultimately, he's saying, may God lead you to do all these things with joy in your heart. And friends, imagine that. Imagine if God enabled you to live for Him, to do ministry for Him, to endure all things that happens patiently as you wait on Him, and He grants you joy in doing this. How amazing would that be? And it isn't just joy that we see, but the beginning of verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who have qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And you see, Paul is saying that as God gives them this joy, they will also come to God and bring their thankfulness to Him. And friends, imagine a ministry like that, full of joy and thankfulness to God as you serve God, as you become more like Christ, and as you become closer and closer to God. Isn't this prayer worth praying? God isn't calling us into a servanthood that's merely slog and suffering. There's always that suffering, Jesus says, carry your cross and come after me. But we see here that even in that difficult times, God will allow us to find joy in serving him. And this joy then leads us to thank God because God has given us such a great gift in the gospel. We do not deserve it. We are Gentiles and yet he has made us inheritors to the kingdom. And imagine the comfort this is to the Colossians, to know that despite what all this false teaching is saying, they too are every bit genuine Christian. The gospel applies to them, and they've inherited the very same kingdom of God. So friends, this is why we must realize that if we do not have joy in our walk with God, if obeying God is not something that's joyful, but you have to grit your teeth, you have to like endure, then friends, you're missing out on something. Pray for this joy, because from this joy comes endurance and steadfastness. And from this then, you will have a heart that's filled with thankfulness to God. You will appreciate what He has done to save you. And that would give you so much meaning in your ministry and in your life. So don't rob yourself of this joy because you're not willing to pray and ask God for it. Pray for joy in your ministry. Finally then, Paul closes his prayer. We come to verse 13. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And here he reminds them that they have been delivered from death and darkness. And now they are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. They're reminded of Jesus' love towards them, of God's love towards them, that Jesus has given them redemption and forgiveness of sins. And what's the point of adding this to the prayer? Now, remember, the Colossians were discouraged because there are bad teachers around there. And what Paul is doing here is that he's bringing them encouragement by pointing them to the gospel. They're reminding that they are already saved and that they lack nothing in light of their salvation through the gospel. It is a powerful reminder then so that they can have joy and they can respond to this gospel with thanksgiving to God. And this is what Paul hopes for them. The gospel should also be something that reminds us to be joyful for our salvation and lead us in thankfulness to God. So friends, to recap the applications for us, remember to pray. Pray for yourself, for me, for pastoral team, for our brothers and sisters in church, for Christian brothers everywhere. Let your life be one that is soaked with prayers. Follow Paul's example in this. Seek out good works and growth in your relationship with God for the purpose of being able to fulfill God's will. And of course, to do this, you need to know God's will. So pray that God will reveal his will in these matters to you. Don't rely on your own power. Don't do ministry by gritting your teeth and forcing through the slog, but rather by prayer, rely on God to change you. Rely on God to bring you to joy and thankfulness as you serve him. And let the gospel encourage you. Use the gospel to encourage other Christians as Paul does here. Share the gospel then as an outworking of the good works that bears fruit. Friends, I tell you, the fruit that the gospel bears is simply magnificent. People who are lost, who are in the kingdom of darkness, are brought into the kingdom of life. Eternal life is granted to them. How amazing is the gospel? And when we think about prayers, I'm reminded of the early African converts to Christianity. You see, they were earnest and regular in their private devotions. They tend to take prayer very seriously. And each of these devotees then, they had a separate spot in a ticket. So they'll walk into the ticket. There's a particular spot that they always go to pray. And there they will pour out their hearts to God. And over time, because they keep on returning to pray to the same place, the paths to these places will become well-worn. And as a result, if one of these believers start to neglect their prayer life, it will become very apparent to the other brothers and sisters. And then they would kindly remind the negligent one, Brother, the grass grows on your path. Think about your prayer life. How is your prayer path? Is it clear, free of grass, a place of solitude and joy where you can go and bring everything you have to your father? Or is it something that 
is overrun with grass. It's dark and foreboding. And you don't feel comfortable coming to God in prayer. And friends, the only way for you to make it clear and comfortable is to continue to make that trip day after day into that ticket to pray so that the grass will not grow on that path. And I guarantee you, friends, God will be using your prayer life to draw you near to Him, to bring fruit in your life, to give you joy in your ministry, so that ultimately you will sing praises of thanks to Him who has been so generous and kind to you. And finally, friends, remember, God has given you this great gospel. He has adopted you, has given you an inheritance. And so be thankful to Him and do so in your prayers. Why not start today? Pick a time. Promise yourself that you will spend serious time in prayer and try to do it the day after. And the day after, come to Him, friends. Come to Him in prayer because that is what I am praying for you today. As we close, let us be reminded of how powerful prayer is. That even in prison, Paul's word has so much meaning to the people in Colossians that it is meant to encourage them. It's meant to teach them doctrine and it points them to the great hope they have in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to come to you in prayer. Revive our prayer lives. And Lord, as we pray, let us not only pray for our needs, but let us pray that we will come to know your heart, Lord, your will in our lives. And we pray that you will help us to respond to this. And we pray you will help us to bring fruit out of this. And we pray that you will help us to draw close to you, Lord. Have mercy on us and revive our prayer life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.